0: The disappearance of Chinese scholar Yingying Zhang from the University of Illinois in June 2017 generated worldwide attention and enormous sympathy for her family in China. Since the arrest of suspected kidnapper Brent Christensen, Urbana attorney Steve Beckett has worked with Ms. Zhang's parents to help them navigate the U.S. legal system and track developments in the case. In this week's podcast, I talk with Beckett about how he first connected with the family, the differences between the Chinese and U.S. legal systems, and her parents' desire to find out what happened to their daughter. News Gazette reporter Ben Zygderman, who has covered Christensen's legal case, also joined us to talk about new details that came out in court last week about the FBI's interactions with Christensen, his wife, and the girlfriend who secretly recorded his incriminating statements. We'll be back right after this.
1: Hey, Jim Rosso, News Gazette Media Vice President, reminding you that we have a ton of podcasts available at newsgazette.com every day of the week. From Dave Gentry's Morning Show to Scott Beatty's news Hour to Brian Barnhart's Penny for Your Thoughts. Head to our website, newsgazette.com, and search for podcasts.
0: This is Julie Wirth, and in the studio with me are two guests today, attorney Steve Beckett and News Gazette reporter Ben Zegderman, here to talk about the latest developments in the Brent Christensen legal case. Christensen is accused of kidnapping Chinese scholar Ying Ying Zhang from the University of Illinois campus in June 2017 and lawyers spent several days in front of a judge last week arguing about what evidence can be admitted at his trial. Thanks to both of you for taking the time to be here. Happy to be here. Steve, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you got involved in the case. You were representing Ms. Zhang's family as an advisor or attorney or what?
1: I'm an attorney for the family. It's certainly an unusual situation for me. It's unlike ordinarily people would think that I would be representing a defendant in a criminal case, but basically... You know, I taught at the law school, taught at the law school for 30 years, and from 2005 on, um, I taught uh, uh, out at the China Executive Leadership Program, and so yeah. groups would come in from China, and I primarily uh, talked to them about issues related to criminal law, white-collar crime, burden of proof, um, constitutional rights, things like that. And um, I also supported a couple of visiting scholars, China scholars. So, the last five years, I actually developed a course for international law students in American trial advocacy. And it was primarily attended by Chinese students. So, I would have 15, 16 students, and 12 of them would be Chinese. Because there's so many here. On right, campus. because there were so many here. And um, I, I enjoyed it. Through those contacts, then I was invited to go to China. I've been to China twice. Oh. I went to China in 2012, and I went back in 2016. I lectured at law schools, attended conferences. Um, the second time, my wife and I were there 23 days, and we, were in, we basically followed the Yangtze River and ended up in Xi'an, where the terracotta warriors were. We had a great trip, and wow. the law schools were fantastic. We were just treated really well. So I became very acclimated. Now, I don't speak Chinese. So this happens. This this horrible thing happens, and I learn about it just like everybody else, you know, in the media. And a former Chinese student reached out to me and said, because the family was coming, and said, they're probably going to need help. Would you be willing to help them? And I and I said yes. And then at about the same time, a lawyer from Sh- Chicago, whose name is Zidong uh, Wong, who was in court with me, The other day also contacted me and said it would be good if we could have eyes and ears and legal ability here in Champaign-Urbana. Did you know him before? I did not. I did not. Um, And, uh, again, I said if the family's comfortable, be happy uh, to help. And so, of course, when the family got here, then we all got together. Um, So representatives from the U of I, uh, Mr. Wong, who I call Z, Z and I. Uh, and and the family. Now, Chaolin Hu, who is Ying Ying's boyfriend, he also was here. And sort of the, I mean, this is a unusual situation because I have clients who are half a world away who speak Chinese, and I don't speak Chinese. Uh, but I do have a lawyer who practices in Chicago, who's Chinese national. So I've got him. And then I have Chaolin, who's in Beijing in school, uh the boyfriend, and he speaks English. And so if we have conference calls, it typically will be Z, Charlene, and me. And, you know, the other thing you have to worry about is the time because it's 13 hours right. different. So it's just, it's been kind of a crazy thing. So but,
0: they translate back and forth on those phone calls? Yes.
1: And, and when we would have meetings, because uh, we have had meetings with U.S. attorneys and meetings with law enforcement and and uh, other folks. And we always have had uh, an interpreter there. So everything, it may take a little longer to get things uh, straightened out but um I think we have a very good uh, uh working relationship they're really wonderful folks I got to visit at their home uh, where they were staying in Urbana I got to tell them that when I was a boy I delivered newspapers to the house where they were living you know uh-huh. so we had a you know we had a good time I I just think that they they got acclimated to the community I know that that uh, they got acclimated to us to the lawyers and they they felt comfortable so I thought it was really uh, in, in a horrible situation about as good as you could do. And uh, we had wonderful support from the university uh, as well. And, and so just we are where we are right now.
0: How often do you correspond with them? Have you been briefing them on all these hearings? Oh, yes.
1: Oh, yes. So um, I would say it, it just depends on what's going on. And in, in even when they went back to China in the fall, it was probably once every two weeks. But there hasn't been a lot of things going on. Uh, and, but Mr. Wong, of course, he, he is regular because he can call the folks on the, on the phone and talk to them on the phone. I can't, you know, I can't do that unless we would have a conference call and there'd have to be something pretty serious. And so you may remember this, that in the fall, um, or last year, there was a process about whether or not the attorney general would approve the death penalty. And so obviously victims have the opportunity to provide, um, position paper impact papers on the decision that the attorney general has to make and so you need lawyers to help you um write those kind of documents and submit them mm-hmm. to the government for the attorney general's review committee so there I am I was there I was the lawyer but you're you're also expressing the family's wishes and so you have to have the information from the family about Yingying about her background about what this Impact has been on the family of uh, of her disappearance and presumed uh, death, and so that all gets put into writing and is sent to the attorney general, and is considered by the attorney general as part of of a variety of factors in authorizing the death penalty, which of course happened. And then, um, wow. uh, just I could ramble on, I suppose, forever. <laughs> but it's fine. Um, uh, then we go to uh, scheduling. And so you have initial scheduling. Well, the initial scheduling isn't the real scheduling. And I I know that. And so you try to prepare them for that. Uh haven't been in too many criminal cases to know that the first dates set are never the real dates. Yeah, because it was originally set. like right. last fall or something. Right. And um, so then you try to get a realistic assessment. Well, of course, I know the prosecutors. I know the defense lawyers. One of them, Liz Pollock's former student of mine. And so, I mean, I don't talk to them about the the... The evidence or the aspects of their case or their strategy or anything like that, but I can talk to them about procedural things where are we what 's going to happen next, you know et cetera, and then that can be communicated to the family so that they can be kept in the loop to know what 's happening and so when the wow. When the dates got set you know for April and then you work backwards from there i 've tried to keep the the family informed um, now it 's probably um, i i haven 't talked to them since probably sometime last summer. And so uh, Z, uh, obviously has, you know, I know Z talked to him today because of the hearings we had on Monday. Oh, I was wondering, because I
0: know there was a lot at these yeah. hearings that came out. Right. Um, do they know, um, does the family know more than we do, like from prosecutors about no. the details?
1: No, no, it isn't, um, you know, I learned a lot by attending the hearings Monday and Tuesday. I had never seen the 302s, the FBI reports. Um, I knew what I read in the media, so whatever was available to you, you know that's that's how I kept track of the case. It isn't like I have some sort of inside position for the family. The victims have rights uh, in in criminal cases, but they're not a party like the government or like the defendant.
0: I wanted to ask you before we talk about the hearings. Um, I know you were disappointed, and the family was too, that it's being moved back to Peoria. Um,
1: I'm to- very disappointed. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. Well, I've gotten to know them. I mean, I have a great relationship with the family. They're my clients. I want to help them. I I want them to feel comfortable. And they were here in our community, and my law office is right there, you know, a long block away from the courthouse, and they could have a housing in Urbana, and I could see them, and it wasn't necessarily essential that I have to drive 90 miles, you know, to see them or to be in court. Some court hearings I could attend if I wanted to because I thought it was important, but some I could could not, and now I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know how that's going to work, and so that's why I say we're in kind of a rebuilding mode.
0: Are they planning to come, and do you know what they're going well, to sure do? Well, I'm sure they'll come.
1: I'm, I'm sure they'll come. I mean, I don't know what... If you just step back, and I'll talk in general about cases like this, there's every potential that they could be witnesses. It could be witnesses at the guilt phase or at the sentencing phase, right. um, because victims can be witnesses. That victims' family can be uh, uh, witnesses. Um, they're obviously uh, interested in the case. We know f- uh, from things that we heard on Monday that the investigation is still ongoing, and the family, most of all, would like to know where's our daughter. Uh, uh, is she alive? Hope against hope. Is she alive? And if she's not alive, why can't we know what has happened to our daughter? That you know, that's the big, that's the big issue.
0: I know you probably can't talk about specifics, but I know you've probably asked that question. That what do they tell you when you ask that, or when the family asks that? The prosecutors, why won't they say what they think, or do they know?
1: Well, we know what the charges say. Right. And the charges say that, that she's dead. And the government's going to prove circumstantially that she's dead. That's what the indictment says. That's what the element of the offense is, is, that she's dead. And so if you're mom and dad, then that's what you likely would assume, even though in your heart what you're hoping is that she's alive.
0: I just wonder if they've indicated to you or them any more about what they think happened to her, but they haven't apparently, um, or how they know this.
1: I'm in some respects because of my background I probably have a better feel for it than you do um, I I just don't think the government would, would file an indictment that said she was dead unless right. the evidence no I strongly don't. supported I that she was that she wasn't right living
2: no go ahead ben. Um, backing up a little bit I was when exactly did you get involved it was before they he was arrested right
1: no no I, I was involved I sometime in July of 2017, and so she went missing, I think, July 9th. June 9th. Or June 9th, I'm sorry, June 9th, and uh, he was arrested June 30th, I believe, Mm -hmm. and so within a couple weeks, I was was on board.
2: Okay, and then you talked about the victims have certain rights. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean?
1: Well, victims have a right to uh, know the court schedule and know about every hearing. So that they can attend if they choose, uh, and be present at, at every court hearing. Um, they would have a right at a sentencing hearing to make a victim impact, uh, statement. That, that's different than whether or not the government might want to call them as a witness either at the guilt phase or at the sentencing phase. That's different. We're talking about their right. They would have a right to communicate at sentencing, um, what the impact of the offense is, uh, on them um in the because of this death penalty procedure that the attorney general has there's a a specific um, element that says that they have uh, a right to communicate in writing to the review committee that, of the attorney general 's office at the Department of Justice what their position is on whether or not the death penalty should be authorized. Those are the basics i guess I would say and and primarily it 's what 's going on in court they have a right but let's say what they don't have they don't have a right to have the police reports they don't have a right to have the government summarize the evidence for them they don't have the right to have the government tell them what the theory of the of the case is and so in in some respects i think that's why having a lawyer for a victim's family is very important so that uh, somebody there is there can read the tea leaves and give them an interpretation so that they can make their own judgments about how the case is going you know most of all i think they would like to have a successful prosecution if they're not going to get their daughter back then they would like to have the case handled properly with a successful prosecution
2: um and then just at the hearings today talking with some of the people there from china they talked about this is a the American judicial system is qu- quite different it has this been pretty confusing for the family oh well,
1: absolutely there's no such thing as a jury trial in china
2: <laughs> oh okay is that right? there's no such di-
1: oh no uh, government officials would make the decision and so you have a court which has multiple judges, usually three, but can have as many as five. You would have the prosecutor and you would have a representative of the the uh, committee on security from the party and the i mean because I've been at conferences and I've talked to Chinese defense lawyers, the Chinese defense lawyers get to do l- literally nothing. They don't get to cross-examine witnesses. Uh-huh. They can stand up, this is what they always told me, they can stand up in court and say, I ask that this court do justice for my client. As the client is standing in the dock. And the judges can question the defendant and uh, use the defendant's silence as, as uh, guilt. So, I'm, I'll tell you a story if you want to hear sure. a story. The story is um, of a infamous murder case where husband and wife are are not getting along and, it, and in the village everybody knows they're not getting along. Wife disappears. Wife's parents go to the uh, police, which is the security bureau, and they bring husband in and they keep him for three days and... Uh, Question him and question him until he admits that he has killed his wife. And he appears in a proceeding just like I've described, and the the member of the the security committee and the prosecutor and the judge all meet. They decide he's guilty. He has to appear in court. He's told he's guilty, and he's sentenced to death. One thing that China has done is that their Supreme Court, and I did get to meet some of their Supreme Court justices in Beijing, They review every death penalty case. Mm -hmm. And so these people are literally on death row for years and years and years, just like it's been here in the United States, but for sort of different reasons. So he's in prison for 10 years. And one day, his wife comes back home. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) She comes back to the village. And she had run off with another man.
0: Oh, my
2: gosh.
1: And so he was exonerated (laughs) because he hadn't killed anybody.
2: Huh wow but so i guess the actual trial part i imagine that goes a lot quicker than it does here
1: right right that's and correct you know, and that's correct. You know, and so you know when i would lecture in china about our exclusionary rule
2: <laughs> right
1: uh, miranda i was just going to say there's nothing like that right well in 2010 they actually <laughs> um modified their rules to include some of on on paper some of the things like they have an exclusionary rule but they think that we're crazy and they also think we're crazy because we let ordinary citizens decide important issues like a case like this instead of someone who is well-trained, a professional, and who somehow is affiliated with the government.
2: Has that family been frustrated at the process, at how long it takes and some of that stuff?
1: You know, the family, um, I'm, I guess my view is um, they're just so upset it's, it's hard to separate mm-hmm. frustration from the process to what happened to your daughter.
0: Has the attention to this case continued in China the way it did early on? Do you know?
1: I don't know. I thought that the the coverage at the hearings this week was a little less than it was. I was asking Ben about that. Yeah, I thought it was a little less than it was. Um I, I didn't um I'm I'm trying to recall when we were first going to to court. It seemed to me that there were I mean there were hundreds of people outside and, at that right. first hearing. Yeah. yeah. No. And if you walked out of the courtroom, there would be this barrage of microphones and cameras and, and, you know, stuff set up that there was nothing like that. So I'd say it's waned a little bit. Uh, but, but the rumor is that, uh, national networks are sort of tracking the case, uh, trying to decide when, if at all, they want to do something about it. And, you know, my hope is that they'll just let it alone. We'd like to get this trial done.
0: Yeah, and they might come back in April too, when the trial's underway. You That's know, true. The actual trial. Um, ben, you covered the hearings last week pretty diligently, and uh, we learned a lot of interesting new details. I think about some of the interactions that the FBI had with Brent Christensen. The hearings dealt with evidence that the lawyers wanted to suppress for various reasons, um, and maybe you could talk a little bit about what their, you know, their main points were and. I think the judge hasn't ruled yet, right? Right. He's still considering those.
2: He's expecting to in the next couple of weeks. There's two main things they want to suppress during the trial. They evidence from their apartment, mainly the electronic devices that were taken. And their argument for that is that they searched the, the defense argues that they searched the apartment before Christensen's ex-wife had given consent to it and that she was in a startled and intimidated state being woken up um and then they also want to suppress some statements made by Christensen to both his girlfriend wearing a wire and to FBI agents because uh that night FBI agents came to his apartment he uh was interviewed and asked for a lawyer and they, um they the defense is arguing that when he does that, they're supposed to wait 14 days before they try to initiate contact again. And instead of waiting 14 days, the defense argues they went through his wife and girlfriend to try to get statements.
0: I see. I I had not heard. I didn't know about the 14 day rule. Is that pretty? There's common? a case
1: that that talks about the 14 day rule. Um, I guess I, the comment I would make on it is that the, the the twist in the evidence is that. He contacted the FBI. Right, I saw right. that in Ben's story. So he contacted the FBI. He said it to just clear so name. I mean, I, as right? I sat there and listened to that testimony, I thought to myself, I don't have any idea how the judge is going to rule. I'm not commenting that way. It is like this agent, um, Teneglia, is supposed to go, Oh, you want to talk to me? I'm sorry. Uh, you're going to have to wait <laughs> we six week more Thursday. days. And then if you'll call me back, I can talk to you. So, but Anyway. I thought that was unusual. Yeah,
2: the yeah, the prosecutors kind of made that argument, just like why are we just supposed to ignore him if well, particularly when you're
1: you're looking for someone, you're looking for a missing person, or perhaps right who might still be alive
0: somewhere. Right, right. I'm sorry, but so and the his wife. uh, Michelle Christensen now different last name Uh, Michelle Zortman yes basically changed her story from that night or she gave a very different interpretation of what happened that night when they came to the apartment and you know initially it sounded like she was fairly cooperative with
2: investigators
0: and then the other day she was saying it was much more intrusive and intimidating and that she didn't give consent right
2: right Uh, yeah Um, at least yeah prosecutors are trying to say she was very cooperative that night and it seemed to be that way Um, like yeah there's a text saying she was asking for a restraining order one agent said she uh, was indicated she was scared of her husband Um, when she was on the stand she said the restraining order text was just uh, she was exploring all her options to try to explain that but um. Yeah. When she pro-
0: said she was afraid of him, did she explain that? No. All? That or did they explain that?
2: They didn't really delve into that. I don't recall. Um, well, there is a, there's a
1: some unusual aspect of the hearings that relates to a claim of marital privilege. Because yes. every time the the prosecution tried to ask questions that in any way the witness might have information because husband said something to wife or wife said something to husband, then the defense would object. Mm -hmm. And there's some other motion, apparently, that was ruled on before Judge Shadid got involved in the case or was pressed, because he made some reference to it that 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 was not before me right now. Right,
2: yeah, I think they filed it maybe way back in January about uh, marital privilege. And then I think what happened is when prosecutors decide to seek the death penalty. All those motions got thrown out because it changed everything. And then it, they haven't gotten around to refiling that particular motion again before Judge Chatted. so.
0: There was this moment where they asked her at one point, are you still in love with your husband? And they objected and how did that transpire after that? like, did-
2: Yeah, so th- they asked her whether...
1: Are she- you still in love with your husband? Yes, are
2: you still in love with your husband as he sits here today? And she Well, we p-
1: have to remember now. The first was, you were divorced on December 6th, 2018, correct? Yeah, right. Right. Oh. Yes. Are you still in love with your husband? Yeah. Or and then, husband?
2: then there was a awkward long pause where they looked at each other, where which was, that part was a little unusual because they hadn't been looking at each other for most of it. And then she asked, is that relevant? Um,
1: Being the witness asked. The witness asked, is that right? Yeah. Interesting.
2: Um, And then uh, the defense objected to the question, and it was eventually rephrased to, um, did you decide? Are you standing by him? Yeah, are you standing by him? And she said, I made the decision to tell the truth. I remember
0: that was pretty dramatic.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a made-for-TV moment. (laughs)
0: Well, there were uh, very interesting details that popped up, I think, that we didn't know before um, about the night they went there, and it sounds like she talked quite a bit to the FBI agent that night about their life and their open marriage, and, you know, did they go into much detail about that, or did they just sort of summarize the conversation that way?
2: Um, They went into some detail, but they also tried, uh, the defense often objected when they got too specific, but...
0: Because they're trying to keep all this out of the record, right? Or is that why? I'm not.
1: I'm. I'm not exactly sure. Most of the objections seem to be tied to that marital Mer- privilege right. I- oh, issue. Um, but I thought there was a fair amount. Right. Uh, um, I. Lo- I mean, I did not know as much about the open marriage as I found out from that hearing.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah, they were in a right he had a girlfriend and she had a boyfriend and the Christensen's girlfriend also had a boy another boyfriend right so it got boy. a little complicated but yeah both sides agreed it was a two-hour interview and so they must have been talking about quite a bit That's during nice. that time um, and yeah. so
0: what was the objection uh, did they detail anything about what they found on his electronic devices? I mean, I think early on they did in some of those initial
2: right when he was arrested they stuff. talked about what websites he had right. been visiting. Did they anything new come out on that? I don't think so. No.
0: Okay. Cuz they were objecting to that as well because of the illegal seizure. They said it was an illegal seizure. Right. right. So, um the girlfriend is interesting because she obviously agreed to wear wire and went to the vigil with him where apparently we assume it was he was recorded saying Picking out characteristics of an ideal victim and that kind of thing, which had been reported before. But they were trying to say she couldn't give valid consent, right?
2: Yeah, they tried to. Uh, they pointed to her text messages um, and tried to say she wasn't mentally stable enough to give consent, um, talking about how she's vomiting and doesn't feel okay and it feels like she, she, her life's falling apart. Um, and.
0: So that they pressured her to do it.
2: Right, that was, yeah, and that she didn't, right, they were trying to say that she didn't really want to do this, but felt, right, pressured to do it.
0: It was interesting that she said, or they said she said that she did it too, if, if, you know, it might prove him innocent or, you know, if not, it would help solve this crime. So Mm -hmm. kind of interesting state of mind there. I don't know. Did, I I was going to ask you if you got a read on the judge's reaction to any of this and how he might go.
1: No, I don't. I don't have a read. I th- I thought he played it pretty close to the vest. Um, so
0: did anything else come out about what the wire? What what else was recorded when she was wearing the wire?
2: Anything uh, new? I don't think so. They detailed each of the different times she wore the wire and how, after the recording, she would go meet with an FBI agent right away, and he would download the recording and give her a new battery wow. and new tape or whatever. I don't know how it works, but um, they didn't go much into what was in the tapes, if I recall. Yeah. No, they did
0: how, how long did she wear it? Did they give an indication? Um, like, was it a period of days or more than that?
1: Like it, June 17th until the vigil. vigil. Yeah.
0: So 12 days? Yeah,
2: and I think there were about five or six different meetings in that time that she wore it. Sounds recorded.
0: terrifying, you know. If you're her, I would think. I don't yeah, know. I imagine that
2: would be stressful.
0: Um, so um, there was also this issue about them interviewing his cellmates and recording all of his phone calls in jail. That was you made reference to it in the last story. uh I, I don't know how serious those um motions might be. I, I know Steve, you well, don't want to talk the, about the legal the side. Well, just
1: talk in general that um, the uh, you know in two areas. One there's absolutely nothing wrong with an FBI agent going to a place where somebody is in custody and talking to the people who are in the same pot or the same cell to ask whether or not the defendant has made statements. If you're a defense lawyer, you've said to your client, uh, don't be foolish. Don't talk about your case with anyone. And so ordinarily one would expect that that type of investigation would be fruitless. Um, also, because you're in custody, you don't have any right of privacy in your cell. That's what I would uh, think. I suppose the only right that you would have is um, about communications with your attorney. And so if you had written communications with your attorney in your cell, I would think that law enforcement officials cannot look at your communications with your, you know, with your attorney. And so I think that there's sort of a... Um, a complaint that that without knowing what really happened, that while he was in court on Friday, eight right agents went to Livingston County where he was housed, and not only interviewed but also searched his cell. And the government's response, as I recall, was, "Well, the agents didn't search his cell, Living- Livingston County, because he's gone had an opportunity to do their security check on his cell, uh, and that's." perfectly legit. And so I think, Ben may correct me, the judge extracted um, a statement or agreement from the government that FBI agents are not gonna go search a cell. Mm -hmm. That's that's about as far as as it went. From my perspective for the family, I was just glad that they're continuing to investigate. They're continuing to try to find that, you know, this isn't a closed book and we've got all the evidence that we're gonna have, we're gonna continue to look. So. From the family's perspective, I I was pleased with that. Yeah,
0: I thought that was interesting that they're still looking, you know, for evidence and that mm-hmm. kind of thing.
1: The second part is uh, telephone calls. Right. When you call someone uh, who's in jail um, and you're not an attorney, okay, so an attorney, we have a separate line. Okay, our, so they can't right, record our, those? Our yeah. calls are confidential. I still tell my clients, I don't want to talk to you about your case on the phone. I'll come and see you. It, it isn't. It's just being careful. It sure. isn't that I actually think the big brother is taping my telephone calls with my clients. It just it makes sense. Uh, but if you're a family member or a friend and you call somebody at the jail or they call you, the rec- the phone tells you that you're being recorded, and so there is no sense of privacy uh, in those kinds of phone calls. And I think the the defense is arguing that those kinds of phone calls should not be uh, used as well
2: right and at least yeah for on the other motions the judge didn't seem to lean which way he's going but on that one he seemed a little skeptical yes
0: well it sounds like with good reason but we'll see I guess was there anything else that either one of you that struck you as you were listening to things over those couple of days that you know that we didn't know before or that shed new light on something
1: um, i was I was impressed by the structure planning and thoroughness of the FBI investigation. I was particularly uh, pleased to see the coordination between the FBI and the U of i police department um, the The taped interview that we saw a portion of was a U of i detective and an FBI uh, agent uh, and uh, I just from what I saw, they worked together very well. Had different roles, different, uh, different uh, functions, and so if anyone thought that uh, this was some sort of uh, ad hoc, slipshod running around like chickens with their head cut off, no, not at all. I, I, I thought that uh, there's a lot of manpower involved in this case.
0: Do you think the fact that you know this is such a high profile case? in China, you know, involved a Chinese national, that, you know, that that might be one reason for the high level of FBI interest and in, in professionalism in this, you know, just to I, make sure everything's done right?
1: I don't I don't know, I don't know, I don't, um, I think it's business as usual for the FBI. I've, I mean, I've called FBI agents, in my case, as a defense lawyer, because they do good work, they're good witnesses, If they have credible facts that could help the defense, they'll come and give it. It isn't like they're your enemy. Oh, that's interesting. Right. So, no. No. I don't think so. I mean, I know that somewhere along the line in the motions that were filed was some claim that uh, they wanted to know what President Trump had Mm -hmm. said about the prosecution of this case. And I, I think that's an. That's a non-starter as well.
0: Do we have a sense of how long the trial might take? And are there more hearings in between now and then scheduled?
2: Uh, yeah, there's one in January, one in February, probably some pre-trial there's hearings. A, The last
1: pre-trial is uh, March 25th.
2: Okay, and then the trial in April. April
1: 2nd. Yeah, so uh, my sense is this is a case that is uh, uh, more months than weeks. I mean, at least two months, maybe three months. The big problem that- The actual uh, trial? Yeah, because you have to pick a jury. Oh, right, right. And uh, as I heard them talking about it, uh, 2,000 juror questionnaires being sent out and talking about lots of people coming in. It's a death penalty case. People have opinions about the death penalty. Um, they they discussed the individual voir dire, as I recall. Uh, I've done that. That's one juror at a time, if you can imagine. Um, the the jury one. selection process could take weeks. How long does
2: it usually take?
1: Uh, in federal court? yeah, Half a day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> because lawyers don't ask questions, the judge asks all the questions. Mm-hmm. And, and you get to suggest to the judge, why don't you ask this? Mm-hmm. Why don't you ask that in writing ahead of trial? And the judge will ask, he or she will ask what they want or not ask what they don't want. So,
0: Those questionnaires were sure interesting in terms of some of the things they asked. Yes, yeah. How unusual was
1: that? Well, oh, that's that's pretty unusual. I you so know, that weird. would be a, a high-profile case in which you think there may be some difficulty in, in picking a jury in which you want to be careful to not have jurors say something in front of other prospective jurors that could taint all the people in a courtroom and make you have to start all all over again. Oh, I see. Questionnaires can can weed out, I think, that kind of situation. The other thing is that from the defense perspective, you want to know as much about the jurors as you possibly can. Sure. When want all jurors who read the New York Times- uh, or whatever <laughs> they were pretty thorough yeah oh. i had
0: a question just about the family again uh you, i don't know if you went to the dedication of the garden here but i know they sent I them i was a, out
1: of town unfortunately uh, i was uh, in uh, court out of town and uh,
0: i knew the parents couldn't be here either but i got i think they were sent a video weren't they yes they were do you know how they reacted to they that? were very
1: touched very very touched very pleased uh-huh. i do think that they they feel a sense of community here um they they have uh Well, first of all, they were very pleased that their daughter was going to come to school here. This is a place that she selected. Yeah. And that there was a Chinese community here. And that she was getting acclimated and she was comfortable. And she talked to her mom every day.
0: Did she? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, it's the sudden void in your life. Sure.
0: and And... It's just been remarkable to watch the community reaction to this. I, I really haven't seen anything else like it here. I don't know if you have in any other case.
1: No, not really, it's it's a it's a one of a kind.
0: Do you know if they're gonna stay in Urbana and go back and forth to Peoria, or what are their plans? We don't
1: know yet. Um, I've learned that there is a Peoria Chinese Association, mm. and I have reached out to University of Illinois, and, and they've been welcoming again, so they will Um, help us Um, the government of course is a potential uh, resource depending on whether or not the family um, are witnesses their witnesses of course they have to provide um, transportation and and lodging for them at least as it relates to their appearances in court so it's it's fairly complicated uh, to get this set up and you know really it's only been like week week before last that we found right, out right. about I this, and so I've got, I've got things in the works, and we hope it works out.
0: Well, like you said, it, the jury selection, everything else, it may take a long, long time. So. Well,
1: one of the worries, frankly, is that we set all this up, and p- plane tickets are purchased, and they get over here, and on March 25th, there's a motion to continue, and now the case is set back mm-hmm. six months because something's come up that's unforeseen. That happens, I've seen it happen and that would be um, an awkward situation for the family
0: in a situation like this if there has been one or I don't know if you've had these conversations with the parties but you know does the defense and the prosecutors sort of recognize that fact and can you work with them
1: Um, I think the the defense and prosecution have to do what they have to do yeah and uh, if it's if it's unfortunate I mean it's like the judges ruling Um, we have problems in the Central District of Illinois that have caused some real administrative headaches. Um, is Judge Shadid's ruling uh, a correct ruling? Sure, it is. I could defend the ruling till the cows come home. Is it unfortunate that that ruling was necessary because of the impact? I mean, even Judge Shadid recognized yeah. the, the impact on the family. Yeah.
2: And
0: well, thanks so much for being with us today. You it was bet. Very interesting as usual. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thank
2: you.